as the world opens up more and more and travel starts uh, coming back to life again, a great golf destination is going to be Australia. There's a link in the video description below to visit Victoria. Be sure to check them out. So without further ado, let's welcome to the podcast, my new best friend, Mr. Ian Baker Finch. Well, I'm excited today because we have, um, we have a great guest today, 1991 Open Champion winner and current CBS golf announcer, Ian Baker Finch. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we go back a long way. You don't even realize this. Uh, you were the person I followed at my, the very first tour event I ever went to at La Costa in 92. Wow. Uh-huh. And that the really, was that the rainy one, the really wet one? They had a number of wet, rainy ones out there. Yeah, yeah. they did. I, I remember I played there uh, in the early 90s. I think I finished, I, I might have lost in a playoff to uh, Paul Azinger one year. I don't know if it was that year or the year before. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, that, was, uh, that was a good course. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. And uh, you kind of, now, I mean, I would watch your swing when I started playing. I started playing in 1989. I would watch your swing, and I would try to copy your knees. I would try to get my knees to touch each other on my mm -hmm. follow through. So I just always remember that. And then uh, I went and bought a pink shirt and a visor in, <laughs> in the summer of 91, for real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was with my love of the pink. I just, uh, I always felt like I was um comfortable in my own skin i guess if i was wearing navy and pink or gray and pink or or some sort of uh color like that you know and 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 had a chance to win the open in 1990 wearing that color so in 91 i made sure i had it again and, and i did go on to win so hey worked out well for you yeah i'd see rory mcelroy copied me when he won his open <laughs> <laughs> it's a good move that's a good move it should be a new tradition get, yeah. get that pink shirt to go win so now you're from Australia. Tell me about like where, where are you from, kind of your background? Uh, Sunshine Coast is the area we would say in Australia, um, just north of Brisbane, northeast. Uh, interesting uh, fact is I grew up 26.5 degrees south of the equator, and I now live in Palm Beach Gardens, 26.5 degrees north of the equator. So wow. just to give the, the viewers, uh, you know, the listeners uh, an understanding of what it was like it was exactly the same as jupiter florida um a beach life for for most you know i lived on a farm about 20 miles inland but it was we went to the beach on a weekend afternoon if we could get away from work you know it was that type of environment hot and hot and humid in the summer mm. and the golf courses weren't great necessarily in that area they were just uh like regular florida golf courses the, the great courses are in the south Wow. And how did you get into the game of golf? My dad started to play in the mid sixties. He'd go nine holes on a Wednesday afternoon. There was a little farmer's sportsman's club about 10 miles away at our nearest golf course in Woodford. And, uh, you know, Arnold sort of legitimized golf for the working man, I think around the world, not just Australia or the USA. 
So he and a few of the guys that were members of the Lions Club and the Returned Servicemen's League Club in our little town decided that they'd try and get some land somewhere and build a golf course. And dad was the instigator of that. He went to the forestry department. They, they uh, gifted him or leased him a hundred acres of swampy land that they couldn't grow pine trees in <laughs> for the paper mill. And uh, the, the farmers built a little nine hole golf course. And, and I was a kid, I was born in 1960, grew up uh, helping dad and the farmers uh, get this course done. And little nine hole push up green, Paspalum grass, you know, white clay, just in the middle of a swamp, and wow. it uh, it was heaven for me. And what? So, what age did you feel like? Hey, I can I can be somebody here in this game. Hmm. It's uh, junior golfers will realize this. If you're, I was a big kid, so I was the best junior at my age group for you know two or three years because I was. The big kid you know that win the long time you? you know i wasn't necessarily that great i was probably a <clears throat> probably a five handicap when i was 14 but okay. i wanted to be a golf pro and so, you're uh, what you're how tall i'm i'm six foot four but i was six okay. foot four and 220 pounds when i was 17 so <laughs> i was i was a big kid yeah okay <clears throat> okay so you got the you junior golf 14 mm -hmm. five handicap and then and then how does it where do you go from there? Do you, is there a college in Australia or is it just straight, straight to a tour? I was, I was a little different in that, excuse me. <clears throat> I was a little different in that. Um, I wanted, I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a pro, whether that was a player or a club pro, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. I had a, an influence of a couple of really good old golf pros in our area that used to come teach the kids, used to service our little country golf course. And uh, I left school after grade 10 in Australia. If you wanted to do an apprenticeship to be a carpenter or a whatever you know, trade you wanted to do, you could leave and do trade school and do an apprenticeship with somebody for three years. Well, the PGA of Australia had a three-year apprenticeship program that you could be indentured, if you will, to a club pro at a course. And that's what I decided to do. So I left school at 15. My mum and dad, I don't know how they let me leave home and go do this. I, let, I moved 100 miles away to a little golf course at Gympie. And they said, hey, if you don't like it after a year, you're still young enough. You're still only 15. You can come back and, and finish your school. Go off and do what you want to do. Yeah. Well, that didn't happen because I loved it. So it was an unusual route, if you will. Most kids finish high school and then they decide or nowadays if they're really good players and they're in an Australian program or, or a state team, they just turn pro uh, and go play the tour. But I, right. I wanted at that age, I never really thought of myself as a British open champion. I, my goal was to maybe be good enough to play the tour, but to be a club pro and uh, it, it just blossomed. Yeah, for sure. And, and now golf in Australia, where, where do you, where's the, if we're going to travel there, where would we go? Uh, well, there's, there's lots of areas that have great golf, especially Sydney and Melbourne and Perth and Adelaide, the, the, the towns, the cities, I should say, that have uh, are conducive to, to the grasses and the style of golf that people are used to. But yeah. the number one place would be Victoria, uh, yeah. Melbourne, uh, specifically the Sandbelt. There's 10 great courses there. It'd be like going to Long Island uh, or to the great courses in Chicago, you know, where there's a there's a group of golf just in one little area. You could stay in one hotel and be 10 minutes from each golf course. So that's, 
the great golf in Australia that people see on television and get to know uh, is the sand belt of Australia. And that region has, oh, we have 1,600 courses in Australia. Wow. And uh, I would say the top 50, half of them would be uh, in the Melbourne region. They're just such great golf courses. And, and that Mediterranean uh, climate, you know, it's kind of a cool, wet winter and a hot, dry summer. Mm. Um, good for grapes too, if you like, uh, if you yeah. like going to the wineries. <laughs> so good wineries, good golf. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. How often are you getting back down there? I usually go home every year. Uh, but I haven't been home. It'll be three years now because I was home for Christmas 19 and I'll mm-hmm. head back at the end of this year. Yeah. Okay. So, and you, you're, you're working with what, uh, Visit Victoria for promoting some, some great courses down there. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, it, it's a, a, a travel, uh, related industry down there that, that wants to get the word out about great golf and, I don't need to sell it too hard because it, it, people that go there know what I'm talking about. It's great. But they, the reason for it was it started with the, um, the president's cup was there in 2019. Yeah. So I was just all the time telling people how great it was to come there and, and, and visit the president's cup. And now the president's cup will be back there in 2028. So uh, we're all looking forward to that as well. Yeah, that was kind of, I mean, that was an awesome uh, president's cup. I remember watching that. And then obviously, everybody's getting their travel plans to Australia and then some, <laughs> some kind of global pandemic hit us kind of yeah, messed really. everything up. Yeah. It was crazy. Wasn't it? Yeah. But I know, uh, travel restrictions and protocols keep changing. They're getting better and better all the time. So I yes. would imagine travel down there would be getting a lot better now and moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're in a crowded place, there'll be a couple of signs on the wall of a crowded place saying, Hey, you know, just be careful, try and, you know, stay um, socially aware, if you will, but it, it's, it's open. Uh, you can fly home. Um, yeah. Looking forward to getting back at uh, November, December for sure. All right. I got to get down there soon. All right. So you, you, you grow up in Australia. Now, how do you get on the tour, a tour, any tour, mm. the pro tour? How does that in your day, how did that happen? I finished my apprenticeship. I worked at the club. I gave a few lessons. I went off and played whenever I could. Uh, We played little pro-am circuits. We'd travel around the country. I could basically play anywhere in Australia uh, the whole year in little, little tournaments. You know, my, my brother used to do my taxes each year and he said for about three years in a row, I won $15,000 and it cost me $20,000 to play. He said, how do you keep doing this? You know, you keep... <laughs> but uh, after a while, you know, I was only young and I knew it would take me a while. And in those days, obviously, you didn't have internet and um, the, the coaching and science that's available to us now. We just went and played. As Steve Elkington always said, you found it in the dirt. You mm. found it by hitting hundreds of golf balls. And it was fun while I was doing it. It was basically my, my university years from 18 to 22 were traveling around in a car with buddies uh, playing these little tournaments. And I finally got good enough to win and make some money. And then I started going overseas in 1983. I was 22. And then um, you just, you basically, in those days, if you made the cut, you were exempt the next week. Oh. It wasn't an, wasn't an all exempt tour. If you made the cut, you went. If you didn't, you had to go pre qualify. Okay. So if you got good, you could actually keep going and going and going. And uh, it's all about gaining experience and confidence. Nothing's changed there. It just took a little longer back in those days, I think. Yeah. 
Wow. And the depth, the depth wasn't the same. Matt, it was uh, the depth mm. of talent now is just a hundred times what it was then 40 years ago. It's, uh, it's so difficult now, even though the money's huge, Tiger changed the world when yeah. it came to, you know, we went from playing $1 million tournaments to now we're playing $20 million tournaments. But back home, the young guys now even, they might be playing for 250000 in a tournament, you know, 50 to the winner. But it's all about gaining the experience and then getting to Asia or getting to Europe, the DP World Tour, or over here to the States. It's, it's a progression. So are, are the, I know, the depth of players you mentioned, are, are there better players? Meaning like, I mean, or are there just more really good players? I think there's two ways to answer that. I could just take the easy way out and say, hey, the great players of every era would still be the great players of any era. Right. And I do believe that. I think Jack Nicholas today would still be the best player. You know, he'd, he'd figure out how to play with this equipment. Yeah. But the really the quality of golf is so high now. The equipment is so much better. The agronomy standards, you know, look at the greens now. The greens are perfect every week. Uh, we used to play sometimes the greens would be seven on the stint meter and you couldn't <laughs> fix spike marks and it'd rain for a oh, week. Yeah. It was just, it was a slog, right? Right. But now you've got, you got kids coming out of college uh, ready to go win. And uh, you look at Colin Morikawa, you know, with within two years of coming out, he gets number one in the world. I mean, there's just so much depth of fine young players, men and women, coming through the college system, coming through from the other tours around the world. And yeah, I do believe it's better. It's a higher standard. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of factors involved in that. I, I, just, I, I really enjoy the fact that there's so much sharing of information these days. It's not like, hey, I've got this secret and I'm going to keep it to myself. I mean, you have something really good. You go online. You can go online and follow 20 great coaches and they're giving you more information every day. So I think that's a great thing about golf now. Yeah. And I would imagine that, what do you think about, let's say social media today? Like you, there was no social media in your day. So whenever, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you famously went through some struggles in golf. I'm, I mean, mm -hmm. who doesn't, right? But what do you think the social media aspect today, how much does that play into it? Mm, social media is, huh, it's really unsocial a lot of times. <laughs> it's uh, but I know what you mean, the, the information available, uh, the way um, the way the world is, is there's nothing's private anymore. Um, people are, are always watching. People are always looking in. And uh, I think the ability to focus and put that out of the picture is, is a huge asset these days. The, the young players that are young superstars to be able to just put that to the side um, is a great asset. Like, there's so many things you have to be good at to be good at golf professionally. And that would be one of them. You right. have to be able to sleep well. You have to be able to travel well. You have to be able to, to focus. Um, you have to be fit and strong. You have to be able to train hard because the, the fittest and the fastest survive. You know, there's so many aspects to it. I, Cameron McCormick, who coaches Jordan Spieth, mm -hmm. has a wonderful outlook. He has uh, a, a palette of things you have to work on. I, I'm pretty sure it's 26 different aspects to being a great player. Wow. And uh, I always keep that. I've, I've got a copy of it. I always look at it and just 
see the the uh, the categories and the aspects that certain players are obviously working on or lacking in. And anyway, that's uh, sort of going a bit deep there, but Love it. yeah, there's there's a lot to it. That's for sure. <laughs> what are some of those things that that like we wouldn't expect that you have to work on? Um, relationships, your relationship with your coach, your relationship with your caddy, relationship with your loved ones, uh, your travel buddies for those that are young that don't have a you know a spouse. Um, the uh, the way you assimilate the information that's coming to you from TrackMan and launch monitors and coaches. Mm. Some of the guys will have three or four coaches. They'll have a 3D guy that that uh, is the intermediary between the trainer and the coach, and he shows what how the body's working and what the player needs to work on to be better at certain aspects, to be able to train a certain way to get the sequencing correct for the swing. Now, all of these things as an announcer now, wow. we don't have enough time to really get into this. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm a 10 second soundbite machine when it comes to <laughs> doing golf, because we're going shot, 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 shot all the time. I, I can't ever spend a minute like I just did then explaining some of the intricacies or the facets of why these guys are so good. Yeah. And it's a bit of a shame really, but it's also why podcasts like yours are so popular because yeah. uh, golf lovers like me can, can tune in and, uh, and listen to these things and say, oh, wow, you know, that's pretty interesting or that's where I can get that information. Or, yeah. you know, I digress from the social media thing, but you can go on Twitter or Instagram now and get so much information. So what, let's say when you were on tour, like what did you, there was no, I mean, there was no track man. What, how did you work on your swing? Like, what did you, what did you work on? Well, you, you worked on what you read in uh, Golf Digest or Golf Magazine. You know, you get that once a month, you'd see some articles. Uh -huh. um, in the mid eighties, I, I got, I don't even remember how I got it. Someone gave me a pirated tape uh, that I watched. Um, and watched and watched and watched. And then another friend of mine would send me all of David Ledbetter's articles and he'd, and he'd say, this is what you need to work on. And he'd just send me articles. And then early on, I just had a couple of good buddies that I traveled with and we'd watch each other's game and we'd play together. And um, a friend of mine, Michael Clayton, who's now does a lot of great work in golf course design, he had a really good eye for the swing and he was a deep thinker and he could have been a better player if he hadn't been such a deep thinker, I think. But he would help guys and he would say, hey, why don't you try Lee Trevino's method or why don't you try Ray Floyd's method or why don't you, I was a Jack Nicholas guy, yeah. but I didn't have big heavy ass and big thick legs like Jack did. <laughs> so I could never hit it as far as him, but man, I could hit a nice high fade because that's yeah. all I did. You know, I, I grew up uh, teaching myself from Jack's book and it was, it was difficult, but you found a way, I think in anything, if you really want to be good, you find a way to get it done. And the better players figured it out somehow, you know, whether we really loved it more or wanted it more or um, I never had a plan B, put it that way. I, that's what I call it. A lot of the guys don't make it because there's a plan B mm -hmm. and uh, I'd come from nothing. So I, I didn't really have a plan B. I had to figure it out. I love that. That's what people, you know, people ask me all the time, like, how do you make it in YouTube or whatever? I said, you gotta, you gotta have no other back. You, this is my plan, like X, Y, or Z, to be honest with you. Like I, yeah. I ran out of plans and I said, this is it. And I really mm -hmm. feel like, you know, like you said, if, if you want to make it, you got to put everything into it, right? 
yeah and hopefully you love it like i do yeah um because i think if you really love it it makes it a bit easier then you know the old cliche hey it's not work if you love it love going to work or you love doing it it's not work um yeah. you didn't mind working your butt off to get somewhere if you really could see if you could see the the blue sky if you'd see the you yeah. know the the pot of gold at the end if you will and it wasn't the money pot of gold but just the reward of achieving a high level um you just kept going and the unfortunate thing for me and i'm sure you'll touch on it sometime i i was on a track until i wasn't and the downhill side of the the mountain is a hell of a lot steeper than the uphill side mm. the uphill side seems to go forever it's like one of those trains in Colorado, you know, it's like weaving through the mountains, those two mile long trains. It takes them forever to get there. But once they unload and go down the other side, it probably takes about a, a tenth of the time. And, and that's how it was for me. I just, I kind of lost sight for whatever reason and, and, and uh, went downhill pretty quickly. But anyway, that's, that's another side of the, the story. The, the uphill climb was worth it and, uh, and enjoyable and had a, had a good successful 10 years or so getting there so what what is that point where you can look at and say okay this this is where it changed i started going downhill like <clears throat> could you spot it at the time or well it not really because i think if i'd spotted it at the time i would have um been able to stop the the slide a little easier or better more efficiently to me it was more yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh tracks i could take you down but in the early 90s there was a lot of change in golf we're changing from ballada balls to to hard covered balls. Yeah, uh, wooden heads to metal heads, steel shafts to lighter steel shafts to graphite shafts, uh, cavity backed irons. Um, there was a there was a lot of science, not necessarily very good science. It was like, hey, two years ago when COVID started, no one really knew how to deal with it. You know, right. we know a lot better now, two years in. That's kind of how it was. He said, let's try this, let's try that, let's try this. And uh, in, in any way of life, any, any sport, any job, if you're not trying to get better, you're really going backwards. Because everyone yeah. around you, especially these days, I mentioned how deep the talent is. If, if you are not trying to stay a little bit ahead, if you are ahead, or if you're not trying to gain an advantage, if you're not trying to get better, you're going backwards. And that was really my demise. I was trying to do something better when I really should have, and I give young people this advice today, be the best you can be at what you do, at what you're doing now. You've just won a big tournament, don't change anything, just keep doing what you've been doing because that was good enough to get you there. Don't yeah. think that you have to do anything different. Well, I, I didn't think that. I, I was just uh, my wife and I and the, and the two kids and we were traveling around. I didn't really have the advice of someone um, to help me with that. And I was really just trying to get better. And I changed a couple of things in my swing that became a bit, uh, uh, I just, I just got a bad thought about one or two of them and it became a negativity thing that can happen right. so easy in golf. Cause if you're not, if you're not really on top of that, if you're not really confident, yeah. it's so easy. You look at some of the great players, even today, how Jason day, five six seven years ago was so good and so confident and right you know winning and number one in the world 
And then we saw him last weekend. He was a little fragile. Mind you, the weather was terrible. But he'd lost just a little bit of confidence. And that's mm. the difference. 69 to 79 sounds that's, uh, you know, 15%. But it's, right. it's, a, it's a, just a minuscule thing. It's, it's very hard to explain. Yeah. I mean, I guess anybody who plays golf can kind of relate to that. Obviously we're not, not everybody's on that tour level, but there's days I go out, I shoot par and the next day I'm struggling to break 80 mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, what did I do different? And it's then you're like, then the next time you go out, you're like, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and you, and you play well sometimes. I've, but if you, if you yeah. fear a shot, if you fear a shot, you're in trouble. If you allow fear to overtake your routine method belief, that's when you really get into trouble. And that's what happens. It's indecision. But if you, the guys at our level, at the tour level, yeah, if they hit a bad shot, there's a reason. And that's when I'm announcing, I try and uh, offer that to people if, I've, if I'm given the time. There's a reason that player hit that shot. Uh, it can be indecision. Um, it can be, it was a poor lie. It can be the situation of, of what he was trying to do. And it just, just didn't quite come off. It wasn't a terrible shot. It just got a bad result. Well, there's lots of reasons why. Um, most times it, it'll be down the end of the tournament on a Sunday yeah. afternoon. Quite a lot of times it can be a little bit of fear, a little bit of protection. I don't want to hit it there because I don't want to blow this thing. I'm going to hit it over there. Um, Anyway, can you spot that as an announcer? Can you look at a guy and say, "Oh, he's he's afraid right now." Yes, you can. Well, most or does of the that happen they're not really at the afraid. range? Yeah, they're just careful. Okay. There's um, a perfect example. I, I'm you know I don't mean to give away the timing of this, but last week was the tournament in DC, and it was a really difficult weekend and a really difficult golf course. Yeah. I mean, really hard. The average score was four over par on the Saturday. That's how I, I love it. seeing that, by the way. It's we good love... to see occasionally, isn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. how difficult it is. I want to well, see these guys Well, there was one strong. hole there. The 11th, yes. The 11th hole mm -hmm. was the most difficult hole. Uh, some years it's the most difficult hole on tour. It's always the most difficult hole there every day. It was averaging 4.6 as a par four. There was so much trouble down the left, you could really make double bogey. So... The majority of the field hit it in the right rough to protect from that. But then you had to hit across the water again from the right side. Mm -hmm. And it was muddy and wet. And, and so a lot of guys were making doubles or worse from there as well. There was really nowhere to bail out. Uh, it's like the 12th green at Augusta. There's nowhere to bail out. You either hit it on the green or you don't. You've either right. got the right club or you haven't, right? <laughs> um, and that's when that... Um, I'll sometimes make the comment of someone that's really playing well. They've, um, they're in control. They're, they're not steering it around. They're just letting it go. You can see in their swing, it's just free, like throwing a medicine ball at a wall. It's just so easy. And yeah. then other times you see the guy that can tighten up and you can see it in their follow through and in their swing, they're guiding the ball. Mm -hmm. And that's, you can usually tell that pretty easily. Scary. You see, you're making my hands sweat just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to sweat a bit when in the, the last couple of years that I played, I would fear the night before uh, a driving hole that I, that I knew was going to be trouble for me the next day. And that's 
that's what can happen. And no matter what I tried to do with uh, positive thinking and meditation and everything, there would still be that, that one or two shots a day that mm. I go home and play Saturday mornings and play great. She's 64 with my buddies. Yeah. But then next Thursday, I'd shoot 76. It was just a Did a you lose your, like, your love for the game when you go through that? Or was, that, is that, was it still there through all that, that time? I continued to play. As I said, I'd come home after missing a cut, and I missed plenty, and uh, go play with my buddies on the Saturday. Um, I kind of stepped away from the game. I still had six years left in my exemption. I had a 10-year exemption from 91. Yeah. So I could have kept playing. I could have kept, you know, beating my head against the wall trying to figure it out. But I really didn't want to, I lose my love for the game. I love the game still. I'm a golf nut. And I had two little kids at home. I had to go make a living. And there wasn't the money in the game then. I didn't have a $5 million a year contract to keep me going. I was, you know, I had to earn a living. Yeah. So it's it's hard to keep going. It's like... Uh, you know, the, the definition of idiocy, you know, is continuing to do the same thing day after day incorrectly. Mm. Well, that's, that's kind of how I was feeling about myself. I couldn't figure it out. That would be tough. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys kind of going through it uh, on tour. Even now it's gotta be, that's why I brought up the social media aspect, because if you're going through some struggles, it's gotta be 10 times harder, or I don't know what today versus in your day. Where it was mm. just you, your family, you could kind of retreat and get with your people and say, all right, get some encouragement. But today you're like encouraged with the, the player incentive program and all that to be more socially active on social media. Yeah. But if most of the guys have someone do it for them, well, there you go. There's so money involved now, right? It's just like, hey, pay someone 75 grand to go off and, and look after their account. Some of the guys are honest about it and they'll do it themselves. I mean, I love watching Justin Thomas. I mean, he's always on about, you know, Bama football and college football season and, you know, um, giving it to his buddies, you know, in Alabama. It's like, so I, I like the guys that are real about it. Um, Max Homer's fantastic. He, I'm pretty sure he does it himself. He's got a good, a good handle on, on what yeah. is going on. But if you were having a bad stretch or you're in a bit of a slump, I wouldn't even read it. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. I'd stay away from it. Yeah, smart. So announcing, you started announcing for CBS back in what year? Uh, 16 years now with CBS. Wow. Yeah, it's been fun. We're a great, a great team, good buddies. Um, the other morning, you know, Jim calls us 10 o'clock at night and said, hey, we're going to meet somewhere for breakfast. Let's, let's get together. So we, we go and do that. And um, I've already booked a restaurant this weekend. You know, I'm going to call the guys and say, hey, 6.30 Friday night, we're going to the steakhouse. You know, here's where it is. Yeah. So we're, we're friends as well. And I think that comes across in the telecasts. You certainly sound, I mean, all you guys are professional. You sound super just, I love listening to the knowledge of the game. And, but do you have like a list of things you write down? Like, okay, here are some things I'm going to say. No. no, no. I, I have an amazing amount of uh, information, if you right. will, available to me. I think a thing that a lot of people, if you've got a minute just on this, a lot yeah. of people don't realize what it's like. We're, we're in a tower. Um, I'm not really watching the golf. Dottie Pepper and Colt Nost and Mark Immelman and, and sometimes Trevor are down on the course. They're, they're following 
groups on the course. So they'll have two or three players they're looking after for that day and watching and giving us information. But Frank Nobolo, myself, Nick Faldo, Jim Nance, Andrew Catalon, when he's there, Trevor Immelman sometimes when he's up there, we are in a tower and we're just watching a monitor like I'm watching now. That's what I do every weekend. I'm hunched over a monitor. I've got headsets <laughs> on like you do. And I'm just calling golf and I only see what you are seeing. I don't have anything else. I don't have oh, any other monitors telling me what happened. I, I call 2, 5, 8, 11, 14, 17. They're the six holes that are my holes every weekend. When Nick isn't there, I go to 18 and I'm the analyst on all the holes. You know, the lead guy is, is Nick Faldo. And sometimes yeah. he's there, I get that seat and Trevor comes in for me. But most times I'm there calling those holes. Well, I'm sitting in a booth behind 18 green. I'm, I don't know what happened on two or on, <laughs> on uh, 17 or 11. And, and people sometimes say, oh, that was on tape. Well, I don't know. I'm only watching TV like you are. Now, sometimes there's things that happen where I do know that was on tape. And I'm not, I'm not, I try not to give it away, but I'm also not going to call it like, wow, how about that 85 foot putt that such and such just off? You know, I know that that's coming, right? How so much you grief to, did your buddy Nick Faldo get for the, uh, the master's call with? Uh, yeah, he, that was a shame because uh, it was kind of a rookie mistake, but he was so excited. <laughs> and, and there he was actually in behind 18 green. He was uh, there watching. So he, he got to see all of that transpire. Uh-huh. But yeah, he he copped a lot of grief. But he was honest about it. He said, "Hey, you know, I, I effed up, and um, I, it I happens. It, it happens. It it can. But in it's basically, you know, our producers in our ear, and you say uh, we're going over to seventeen. So Frank Novello's on sixteen. He's just sitting six feet from me over there. But I'm not watching him. I'm watching the screen. And he says, "Let's check in with Ian at seventeen. Thanks, Frank. Here I am." You know, Jason Day for birdie at 17. You know, I'm just seeing what you're seeing, but we've got the headsets and they're giving us direction as to where we're going. And it's pretty amazing. We'll have seven or eight voices on a show and we don't talk over each other. It's, uh, it's an interesting environment, uh, but we, we handle it all pretty well. Yeah. There's, you know, you know when guys are pros and know what they're doing because it, there isn't that stepping on each other time. I mean, you guys are great. It's, you guys got the golf broadcast down. It's um, good fun. Speaking of that, okay, we've got yep. I've got to touch on your thoughts on these other tours, the Live Tour that's launching out. Um, whatever you can or can I don't know what you you know can say about it, but but what what are your thoughts on that? Um, my big picture thought is it's a shame we couldn't have been done within the current golf ecosystem. So yeah. it was something that was good for everyone. And, and the bad bits could have been sort of put to the side and we could have made it work. And I think eventually there will be another aspect to the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour that may include some team competition. Uh, how about having some juniors and some women and some old guys playing with the young guys in some sort of format occasionally? How about getting, you know, bringing men and women's golf together like we're doing in Australia with tournaments. Uh, I, I can tell you about that later. Yeah. But there's the, the bad side is, is it's, it's like almost a, a vendetta tour because it's, it's Greg who had the foresight back in the 90s for a world tour. I remember that. Never that. Really came. 
fruition. And he's always been, I think, a little bit annoyed is a, a, a nice word of putting that against the tour that that didn't come to fruition. And uh, now it just appears like he's trying to give it to uh, the tour by shaking up the, the ecosystem as we know it. Now, all of that being said, what's happened on the Asian tour where he's, they've put a lot of money into Asia, uh, 10 $1 million events, which is good for the Asian tour, uh, other things that are going on there, I, I applaud them for because there's so many fine young players coming through the Asian and Australasian tours. There's now some more opportunities for them to go play. So I like that side of it. Uh, if I was in my 40s and had already had my career, I would be signing on. And there's a lot of guys in their 40s that are signing on. And it's it's there's a lot of money to be made. You can uh, you can make a career in two or three years. Um, the other side of it is the young fellow I know, Jed Morgan from Australia, won the money list in Australia for this season. He's been invited as the leading money winner to play in these things. Mm. So here's this 22 year old kid that's never had you know two quarters to rub together. He's got a chance to go win four million in an event in London. I mean, what's why the, wouldn't uh, she go? What's right? the leading money winner in the Australian Tour? What does that equal? Oh, he probably won a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! Maybe two fifty. So that was that was the leading money winner. So now he can go play in a twenty-five million dollar US tournament. So last go. place gets him half that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as an uh, the yeah. Australian tour is not going to hinder that at all. We're not going to say, hey, Jed, you can't do it. We're going to encourage him, go do it. But if I was um, in Jay's shoes over here, or what's going on with the DP World Tour, the old European tour, I can understand their um, uncertainty in, into the direction of all this. So I, I see both sides of it. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that someday there'll be some, some type of thing where it is integrated into the ecosystem as we know it. Yeah, it seems like they're going to get some of those young guys, like the Australian kid mm -hmm. and the, the, all the guys, like you said, 40 to 50, that's like golf no man's land for the pros. Is you're not really winning. The average, most guys aren't winning on the PGA Tour anymore. And what do you do for those 10 years? Right. And then... You know, the downside will be the ramifications. No more Ryder Cup, no more President's Cup. Okay, so I'm not making, if, if it's all about the money, right? For someone right. in their 40s. Okay, so that's okay. I, I miss playing in the President's Cup or I miss playing in the Ryder Cup, but hey, I can go make $10 million for me and my family. I understand their decision. Okay, it's, all, it's very easy for us to point fingers and say, hey, how can you do that? Yeah. But I see both sides of it. And uh, I think there'll be a bit of a surprise when people see how many uh, pretty good players have asked for releases and how many pretty good players, you know, not former number ones in the world, major winners, whatever, going over and, and playing that. Because in your 40s, it's like, hey, I can go play 10 events and make that amount of money rather than 20 events and kind of be told where I've got to play. Um, I'm, I'm a big supporter of the tours and the pathway tours, Australia to Asia, to Europe, to the US. If you're really, really good, maybe US straight away, you know, for some of the really top young players. Yeah. I'm a big supporter of that. So I hope that it doesn't disrupt too much 
what we have at the moment because there's a lot of young fellows, a lot of, a lot of players have done pretty well out of, out of golf and out of the PGA Tour over the years. Yeah. So back to Australia, what, what's happening, let's say, in the Australia golf scene, Australia travel scene that, uh, that we just don't, you know, that's up and coming that we, 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 mm. can, we don't know about over well, here in the States? Through the pandemic, obviously, some states were closed down. It was difficult to get out on a golf course, but it, that's over now. And, but, but golf bloomed, blossomed uh, like it did everywhere, you know, 20% yeah. growth in, in all aspects. More, more women, more juniors playing, which is great to see. You know, it, we're really um, uh, conscious of that. The Australian PGA has joined an alliance with the women's Australian PGA, so we're now one. Wow. Um, the last couple of years, our number one player medal, the Greg Norman medal, has gone to a female. Minji Lee and Hannah Green have won that medal. You know, that's, you, can you imagine them calling out the PGA Tour Player of the Year over here? Uh, and it's um, Minji Lee, you know, or, it, you know, it's not, we're not even thinking in those lines here wow. as yet, but over there we are. We have tournaments where the men and women play together for one trophy, one prize pool. Uh, uh, Hannah Green won one a month or so ago. Yeah. against the PGA Tour players and the women's PGA Tour playing together. Um, this year, the Australian Open will be the men's Australian Open and the women's playing together on the same two golf courses. So we're already a sort of well ahead of the curve when it comes to that uh, integration, the, the future of golf. That's how it's going to be. Um, yeah. So because we're small, only 25, 26 million people, um, great place to go visit because it's modern and new and fresh and, and we love uh, international visitors. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're a small country, small, small population, not the amount of money that we have here. You know, a big tournament in Australia is $2 million, not 20. So there's that aspect of it. But it's a great pathway for the youngsters and, and for the young players that are looking for a place to play come down and, and play the Australian tour. It's not, not about the money. It's about learning uh, big crowds somewhere, especially in the big cities. We have huge crowds and uh, great golf courses. So yeah, yeah why wouldn't and, a youngster, let's say you graduate college out here. Why wouldn't you take a couple of years and just go drive around Australia and play the tour down there? Yeah. It'd, it'd be a good way to, to go learn and make some, uh, have, have some great memories. That's for sure. Go and go and play some great golf. Um, like Americans, Australians are very welcoming. You could be down there over the Christmas period and someone's going to say, hey, come have Christmas, New Year's with us, me and my family. It's, that's, that's the way it is there. And it, that's how we were always treated here too. So it works both ways. I love it. All right, I got to get down yeah. there. Any last thoughts about Australia visiting that you want to mention before we uh, say goodbye oh, to you? Well, I know it's not all about that, but it's, if you get the chance, I know everyone says, oh, it's a long way. You know, it takes a day to get there. Hey, you jump on a plane in LA, you have a couple of beers, you sleep for eight hours, you get off in Sydney, you go play golf, you spend a couple of weeks and uh, it's not that hard. And the golf, to go with buddies for a golf trip is so much fun to take your wife and go with maybe four, four couples and go travel around and do the wineries and the golf and the travel. 
Um, if you've got enough time, stop off in New Zealand on the way there or the way back. There's great opportunities in a beautiful country right there beside us. So, yeah, it's um, it's a bucket list. And everyone always says, hey, I wanted to go to Australia. Uh, just go do it. It's, it's worth it. Even if you only have 10 days, just uh, figure out the favorite three places, spend three days in each one and enjoy. I love that. Well, it's good to hear that things are opening. Travel's becoming much easier. You know, mm -hmm. golfers will jump in the car today and drive. I'll drive 12 hours to go play. You know, well, that's what we do. So hopping yep. on a plane and going somewhere cool is, uh, is a little easier. Yeah. And, you know, if you go over to Ireland or Scotland, you still got to get on a plane and you don't get much sleep because it's a short flight. It's kind of, it's uh... a <laughs> fun way to sell it. <laughs> yeah. It's, Longer and flight, it, you get a full night's the sleep. <laughs> the weather's going to be good when you get there. I can yeah, promise you that. <laughs> well, uh, Ian Baker Finch, does anybody ever call you anything other than Ian Baker Finch? Well, it's it, Ian is obviously my first name. Baker yeah. Finch is my family name. It has been for four generations now. Um, it, my, my wife's Baker Finch. My daughter's a Baker Finch. You know, anyway, but Finchie's what most people call me. Just Finchie um, is, uh, I think I've become better known as that, I think, on TV over the last 20 years Yeah. than, uh, than when I was playing. But um, golf, golf has been my life. I love it. Uh, I'm, as soon as I finish here, I've already got my golf gear on. I'm heading up to Jupiter Hills for a game of golf with my buddies. And um, I, I do that every day that I'm not, uh, not working at CBS. I love it. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to stop by. The man with three names or one, <laughs> Ian Baker Finch. Finchie, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Great. Great to be with you. Very good. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, mate. Cheers.